Good to see you this morning as we get ready here. Oh, Siri's not available. What? Okay. If you will, turn to Matthew chapter 22 as we come to our last study in Matthew chapter 22 um, and uh, to the third part of what I entitled, um, But Jesus Perceived. Um, given the fact that Jesus is totally aware of everything that's happening in this last week of his life on earth, all the testing, the inspection, the, the, the examination of the Passover lamb, he has been aware of all of it. Um, Jesus understood and he, I, I, I believe he welcomed this that's going on in his life at this very moment. He's not sweating it not one bit. Um, he knew why he came. He understood that. He knew who he was. And this was so necessary that he would have to be examined and tested and come clean or come up clean um, as the Passover lamb so that in a few days from this time he would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so uh, we're in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 34 to the end of the chapter. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. Father, bless your word as you've allowed us the privilege to open it. In Jesus' name, amen. So going back to verse 34 of our text here, it says that when the, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they had gathered together. Now, I, I don't believe that anybody had to run over to them where they were at to tell them exactly what had happened with the Sadducees and how he had silenced them. I I totally believe that these guys, they were in in, in earshot of everything that's going on at least, somewhere where they could see and hear what's happening in that arena, in that temple area. And they had been the ones, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, had been the ones that had been orchestrating this whole thing. And so I think that they were standing there as they're gathered together, as they send one group and then the next group. I, I totally believe that they are standing there in amazement 
that not one of those groups have been able to do anything. The Herodians, they come up and they ask them a political question and they come back with their tails between their legs. Because again, they thought, man, nobody can really top what we're going to ask. And nobody can really answer us. One way or another, we're going to get this guy. And so they come back with their tails between their legs. And then the Sadducees, they go and ask him a, a doctrinal question. And again, this was their go-to question. When anybody ever brought up the resurrection, which they did not believe in. And yet, Jesus makes them look silly. These these These... These guys who knew the law, the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the, the, those guys, they studied this. And yet, Jesus tells them, you are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. And these guys, it was like this slap in the face that happened to them. And, and again, they're walking away looking silly. And so here, I, I, I don't think that, that anyone had to go tell these guys anything. I think them, they themselves heard everything that was going on. And they heard how he had silenced the Sadducees. And that word silenced means to close the mouth with, with a muzzle. A muzzle. <laughs> to muzzle. To cause someone to have nothing to say. To silence, basically. In, in other words, they were left speechless. Jesus reduced them to silence, and there was no retort from them, probably from the, for the very first time ever in the existence of the Sadducees. Somebody shut their mouths, and they could not retort. They could not re- react or, or say anything back to what they were told. They were just like, boom, muzzled. And so in verse 35, he says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? A lawyer comes to him. A lawyer here refers to a man who is an expert in the Jewish law and the law of Moses. Normally, they are called scribes, and we've heard the word scribe many times as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. Mark's Gospel, in the same story, does refer to him as a scribe. A scribe is also a Pharisee. And so this lawyer is a Pharisee. A religious leader and in his much learning has become a lawyer, an expert. One who has, learned, who has earned the title of a scribe. And with this kind of title comes great prestige within his own group, his own peers. It's almost like you get another letter after your name in many instances. Another degree, if you will, within your group of these religious leaders, you've, you've bumped up another notch. And that's where this guy, these guys are at, these scribes who are considered to be lawyers. Only a couple times do we hear, hear that word in the Gospels. But that's who this guy is. He's a scribe. But he's also a Pharisee. 
these guys also make up part of the Sanhedrin, the, the council that is made up of the Sadducees, of the Pharisees, and of the scribes or these lawyers. They are the ones that make up the council. And it's interesting because Jesus will be warning against these types, especially the scribes, the Pharisees, if you will, in the next chapter. So stay tuned to the next chapter. You can read ahead. And so this lawyer comes to him, asked him a question, testing him. Now, those of you guys who may be into into wrestling, lucha libre, if you will, in Espanol. This kind of looks like a, a three-opponent tag team match up against Andre the Giant, if you will, if you know who that is. You know, that, that, that this guy is just a beast, man, and he just like Throws people all over the place. And, 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 and one guy goes in there, man. He gives it all he's got, man. And he's just like, phew. And as he's flying out, he tags the other guy, you know, and he jumps in, you know. Hey, it's for real. <laughs> Anyways, um, that's what it kind of looks like that these guys are tag teaming each other because again they've given it all they've got they they got nothing man they're reaching out it's like tag the other guy we need some fresh blood in here man because this guy is just throwing us all over the place and that's what kind of this thing is is looking like mark's gospel says of this verse in mark twelve twenty eight. Then one of the scribes, again he calls him scribe in this one, came and having heard him reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well and asked, he asked the question, which is the first commandment of all. And so this scribe, this man, if you will, perceiving that Jesus, that he, Jesus, has answered them well. In other words, this guy's going, hey, not bad. <laughs> that, was, that was some great comebacks that you have. Good job, even though you're not a scribe. Because again, these guys are the top, the echelon, the, the top echelon of, of all these religious leaders who, who understand the law, who have studied and made themselves even higher than their peers. And they're probably sitting back and they probably held them for the back, you know, the big guns. You know, come in. It's like, if these amateurs can't get Jesus, man, for sure. These lawyers, this lawyer guy will come in. And it's almost like he's coming back going, hey, I perceive that you answered them well. It's like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> of course he answered them well, man. This is Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and again, understand that when I'm sharing with you about these things, we have history on our side that we go back and we're going, come on, you fools. But these guys are living in the moment. And this guy's a threat to them. He's come on the scene and he is doing all these things. And these guys are going, man, we've got to put a stop to this guy. And so I, I totally understand that they're going, oh, not bad for not being a scribe. But again, we need to remember here, these guys are coming at him to test them. As the Lamb of God, he has to be tested on this day. On this, on, 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 in this week especially, but on this day in particular. And so this man, 
this guy, this scribe, this created being is perceiving that he, Jesus, God the Son, the Creator, (laughs) through whom all things consist and exist, answered them well. (laughs) And again, as I'm looking at this, I'm studying this, I'm going, the audacity, the noise of this guy, right? How dare... He commend the Lord for his reply. And again, we have history on our side. And so I could be a little upset here. <laughs> Going, are you kidding me, dude? But he doesn't know what I know now <laughs> in that sense. But then again, he is a scribe and he is smarter than all of these guys. And so I can understand him coming and going, did a good job, amateur. Not knowing that the one that he's speaking to is truth. Beware. Beware of much learning and those who are much learned. They, they, they tend to, to have certain errors about them to prove that they are much learned. And this is who these scribes are. Again, you have the Pharisees, man. They, they, they put themselves up there. You have, you have the Sadducees who, who are experts as well in the Torah and the Pentateuch. And you have these guys, these scribes. And they carry themselves in such a way that, that everybody else is beneath them, below them. Because they are much learned in that way. Now don't get me wrong, I am not against much learning But like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, at the the end of verse 1, and I totally believe that, that the Apostle Paul was on track to become one of the highest, best scribes ever. He was on that track. That's who this man was. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, the last part. It says, knowledge puffs up. The love edifies. And the Apostle Paul, wherever he went, he was going to be the smartest guy in the room for the most part. (laughs) And yet, he understood the knowledge that he had. And he understood how one can get puffed up with all the learning. And it's good to learn, guys. Don't get me wrong. We can't be ignorant. But be careful that that spiritual pride of, of learning and understanding the Scriptures doesn't put you in a place where you forget to love. Because you're that far above everybody else. And it's important for us to understand that because the Apostle Paul is a great example for us in that. And Jesus is too, of course. But, but he comes at him, and again, they're coming to question him. They're testing him. And, and he says, teacher, teacher, which one of these? Which is the greatest commandment. And, and it's interesting because all these groups that have addressed Jesus or come to Jesus have addressed him as teacher, which means instructor, doctor, master, teacher. Now, whether they believed it or not is another thing. But they're approaching him in this way. And as I'm looking at them, I'm, you know, it, it's almost like that they come there because we know that they came there to trap him, to catch him in his words. And are they using this title of teacher 
and just waiting for him to kind of just take it all in. Because again, they liked to be called teachers, as we see in the next chapter. They, they loved that title. And, and maybe they're, they're, they're using this title of him and waiting for him to say, hey, don't call me teacher. I'm not a scribe like you guys. To them going, oh, I like the humbleness in this guy. But Jesus never refutes that title, <laughs> as we see in the next chapter. That's why I say, stay tuned, read ahead. My understanding is in studying about these scribes is that one of their favorite pastimes was discussing which commandment was the greatest. This was a common question that they would ask people. And I'm sure they had differing commandments or different precepts that they, they heard, but that was what they loved to hang out and talk about. Which one was the greatest? Mark uses the word first commandment, uh, the, the, the inference or implication being first in importance and greatest. And so a lot of people probably had a lot of different opinions on that. So now they're going to come and hit up this guy who has made himself or, or, or looks to be somebody. And, and again, they, they've known he's been on the scene for at least three and a half years. And so they want to ask him the question, which one is the first or greatest commandment? Now, God had given Moses the Ten Commandments, and then he broke them down throughout the books of Exodus, Num uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the scribes took the law all to a new level in, the, in that, that throughout the years, these scribes, they had come up with 613 precepts or commandments in the law. They took all those books and they were making laws out of all of them. There was things in there that, that, that were broken down of what they should do, but they made a, they elevated them a little higher. And there was 248 positive <clears throat> precepts and commandments and 365 negative ones. And they knew that no one person could remember all of them or do all of them, obeying any of them, or for that matter, for all of them, for that matter. And, and, the, and these are where the heavy burdens come from, as we will see again, how, how these Pharisees, they lay burdens on people. And these were the, 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 the commandments, the precepts that they had just laid on them that God did not, in one sense, command Moses to do. He gave them the ten, and then he broke them down. But again, he gave them these ten, and these guys are like, hey, let's just add more of them. And they were strict about most of them. And it's interesting, not knowing that they, they could not adhere to all of them they tried to make it easier these experts by dividing these these commandments into heavy or weighty important commandments and then lighter ones unimportant ones if you will precepts and commandments in other words a, a, a person could major on the heavy commandments and not have to worry so much about the menial ones the trivial ones the smaller ones do not murder is one thing, man. It's like, man, that's a heavy commandment. But, but some of the, the smaller ones about not, not um, I don't know, cooking, cooking meat in, in, in the goat's mother's milk or however, you know, the smaller ones that, man, they, were at, you know, they would adhere to a lot of these kinds of things. 
the delusion, though, the misconception, the, the fallacy behind that approach of having some heavier ones and some trivial ones was that you only needed to break one law to be guilty before God. And James tells us that in James 2.10 where he says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And so, again, it didn't matter, and, and this is where I think some religions have, have the mortal sins and the, the venial sins, you know, that, that some are worse than the others, and yet in God's eyes, they're all bad, and we need to repent from everything, right? But yet, these guys are going, well, it's not that bad. Again, keep in mind that these guys, they're coming to test him. And it's interesting because one of the commentators that I read said that, man, these guys sound really sincere in asking this question, especially the way they approach him. Because the scribe wants to have a little debate that they, he had probably with a hundred people throughout the week, it seemed like. But these guys are not friendly to Jesus, nor do they want to be besties. They truly want to kill him. They want to destroy him. That is why they are there. And yet, some people are going, well, this guy might be a nice guy, and he might be, but he's still a snake deep down inside in regards to what he wants to do to this guy because they've already plotted against this whole thing. And so they ask the question, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus here quotes Deuteronomy 6, 5 in regards to loving God, but he also quotes Leviticus 19.18, where he commanded his people to love their neighbors as themselves. And let me read to you Leviticus 19.18, where it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, because I said so. <laughs> Why do I have to love my neighbor? Because I said so. Because I am the Lord. But both of these verses were, were familiar to the religious leaders. And not only to them, but for the common people as well. Especially Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first nine verses were very important to the Jewish people. Because they recited most of that, if not all of those verses, those nine verses, every day. To this day, many of them do it to this day. When they rise up and when they lie down. Now, I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 6, just so you can get the bigger picture. And I'm going to turn there, and later on I'm going to turn to a couple other places if we have time. But in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read to you how this whole little concept goes, and, and, and how they were used to this portion. So he's not telling them something new. They understand what he is saying. Now, verse 4 of what I'm going to read to you is called the Shema, which means hear, and, and, and most of these guys knew that, if not all of them knew that. Most of the, the Jews also had the mezuzah, mezuzah which, uh, on their doorpost, which is a little thin 
thing that they put on their doorpost right outside and inside of it is a little scroll rolled up that has these verses attached to it. And, and most Jews that have this on their door, they touch it as they're leaving, they touch it as they're coming out because they go to this portion all the time. So they understand this. It says, now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that you may be well, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, uh, as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when, they, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so these guys, they understood this portion of Scripture when he said, which is the greatest commandment, and he says, love the Lord God with everything you've got. They understood that. These guys acknowledged God first and foremost whenever they did anything like this. In their lives, rising up and they would say these things, they were acknowledging God first and foremost. Just like when we pray and, and we start off with our Father who art in heaven, acknowledging Him and putting things in perspective before you move any further, this is what they would do and this is what we should do in any way, shape, or form that we would go always acknowledging Him in all our ways. Then, in both of these commandments that He gives them, He says, you shall love. He says, love is the first thing and the greatest thing and the most important thing in all of it. Love. And that's why, again, you go back to what Paul says. He says, man, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so love is the most important thing. You see, it is on that principle, on this principle of love, that everything else falls into place because we are called to love. How are we to love God? Out of and with Everything that is within, that is your heart, out of and with everything that is your life, in other words, your soul, and out of and with everything that is your understanding, your mind. And I love that, that, that Mark, he adds, but we saw it in Deuteronomy, out of and with everything that is without that is your strength, 
You are to love God out of and everything that you have. If our relationship with God is based on love, out of and with everything that we are, then the second part that Jesus shares with this guy and with us, the second part is not that hard to do. To love your neighbor as yourself. Or at least it shouldn't be. <laughs> 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. didn't say should. <laughs> he said must love his brother also. Now, if you can't say that you love God out of and with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will probably always have a hard time loving those around you. Because it is out of our love for God that we are able to love others. So if you can't say, I love God, then it's always going to be difficult for you. But if you can say that you love God out of and with everything, all that's in your heart, soul, mind, and strength, yet you're not getting along <laughs> with your brother and sister or with others around you, then I would say that there is something amiss. There's something incorrect in your life or wrong. If you say, no, I love God, but you can't seem to get along with most people within your family or within the family of God. Now, I know that we would never use the word hate because hate is a strong word. You know that. Oh, I don't hate anybody. I mean, in, in the sense of hate my brother. Oh, I would never. I hug them as I'm stabbing them in the back. <laughs> Is slander really hate? Or am I just like speaking the truth? Come on. We need to be careful with that. Again, none of us, I can almost guarantee you, None of us would say, I hate my brother here at church. <laughs> I just sit on the other side of the church so I don't have to talk to him or see them. I park on that side, not on this side, because I know which door they come into. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's almost like, if I say I love God, then that love will manifest in how I love other people, first and foremost. Because I could say it all day long, and if I hate people, somebody's going to go, Pastor, I think there's something amiss with you, man. <laughs> Might not use that word. But, but, but I, I, you tell me you love God, but I never see you loving people. Or I see you thrashing people all the time. Ah, oh, jeez. You know? And, and it's almost like even, even within our marriage, if I say I love God, then my wife should be the first beneficiary of that love. 
She should be the one that, 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 that receives that love. If I say I, love, I serve God, then, then I should serve my wife and my family and you first and foremost. It should kind of trickle out that way. So if, if, if my relationship this way is right on, then my relationship this way should fall right into place. People not only hear what you say, but they watch what you do. And if two and two doesn't make four, you don't have to be a math whiz to understand that something doesn't add up here. Because I've had people tell me, oh, I love God. I read the scriptures all the time. I do all this and this and this. And you're going, dude, and you're slandering like that? And you're backstabbing like that? And you're, and you're doing what? And you're doing, you know, again, it's like, something's not right here. <laughs> doing the math, getting my calculator out going, still not adding up. Something's wrong. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and be watchful in, in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. <laughs> Be hospitable to one another. It would have been different if you would have wrote and said, hey, be harsh with one another. It's like, sweet, man. Give me the privilege to be harsh. But he doesn't say that. He said, be hospitable. Love does cover a multitude of sin. In Luke chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, but, but we have kind of a similar story where a lawyer comes to Jesus asking him about his neighbor or asking him about this kind of commandment. And Jesus turns around and says, well, what's your, what's the, what's, what, how do you read the Scriptures? Well, and he quotes these two scriptures. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. And yet he's trying to justify his life. But, but who exactly is my neighbor? You know, and when you start doing that, going, he's asked you to love your neighbor as yourself. And you're going, okay, let's, those in my little vicinity, like right here. Those who are part of my church, those who I work, who, who, who exactly is my neighbor? And this is where he shares that story of the Good Samaritan. That the religious leaders, the one that should be caring for people, don't. <laughs> and the Samaritan, who is a half-breed, who these Jewish people look down on, is the one that has compassion on the guy, so much so that he picks him up, he, you know, takes care of his wounds, puts him in an inn, and says, here, man, I got a jam, but you use any more money, I will come back and I will pay for him. I will take care of him. And he's, Jesus basically says, that is your neighbor. That one is your neighbor. God had commanded Israel in Deuteronomy 10, 19, therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And I know some of you guys are going, oh man, I would much rather love a stranger than some of my brothers and sisters here in church. <laughs> it's like, jerk, don't be a jerk, man. <clears throat> don't do that. 
It's like, no, the people here are your neighbors. The people that we get to minister outside these walls are your neighbor. We are to love them as you love yourself. I've had a model forever, man. A stranger is just a friend I haven't met yet. It's like, man, I, I want to be friends with everybody. I, I want to love my neighbor, every one of them, even if they've jacked me time and time again. I want to be there. I want to love them. Why? Because God told me I must love my brother. If I say I love God and have animus or harshness or ugliness towards somebody else, it's like, what kind of Christian am I? That's not what Jesus told us to be. And so getting down to the nitty-gritty here, if love is our motivation in why we do anything, why would we ever want to bring pain or hurt to anybody, to others? If I wouldn't want that being done to me, why would I want to do that to anybody else? And again, we have to ask ourselves those kinds of things. If you treated others or if, you've, if people treated you the way you've been treating others, you'd be mad. You'd be upset. You'd be going, I'm bailing that. And Jesus finishes this portion off by saying, on these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets, he tells the scribe. This man who was an expert in the law, and he understood the prophets. And Jesus says, you, 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 wanted, you wanted the best, the, the top, the, the first and foremost is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then do that with your neighbor. Because if you love God with everything, you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to do it. And so in essence, you would think that this would silence the scribe up You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? But it doesn't, because Mark's gospel tells us, so the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and to love uh, one's neighbor as yourself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. And so this scribe says to Jesus, good job. (laughs) You almost want to go, that he said, you kind of put me in my place, didn't you? (laughs) But he doesn't say that. No kidding, it was a good job, man. Speak, or uh, 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 truth was speaking right to you. He is truth. There is no lie in him. He, the very word of God was speaking to you. The one that started this whole thing was speaking to you. <laughs> this guy could only reiterate what Jesus had already said because there was nothing else to say after what Jesus said. That one commentator that I told you that thought that this guy was sincere says this man's heart was touched by what Jesus says in verse 34 of that 
of that uh, book, of that gospel, where he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But again, what, what, what we need to understand, I, I, again, I can understand there's a possibility this guy's heart could be changed, but that's not why he was there. And I'm not saying God couldn't have reached that, but he was there to trap him. <clears throat> I'm sure that God could change his heart in the instant. But because of the context of what's been happening on that Tuesday, the testing, the inspection, the examination of the Passover lamb, Jesus, I think, and I could be wrong, but I'm never wrong. I'm kidding. Princess Bride, come on. I think that what Jesus meant in verse 34 of the Gospel of Mark, and this is only my paraphrase. It's not even the Amplified. It's my paraphrase. If you were not trying to trick me, you could be very close to the kingdom of heaven. And there's a reason why there are jokes about lawyers being called liars. That's my translation. No offense. None of these three groups that approached Jesus that day were acting out of love. Not one of them. The whole religious system of that day had no love for Jesus. They had been plotting to destroy him, to kill him. And in each instance that they came and they challenged Jesus and they tested him, and I understand, again, we have history where it was understood why they had to. But in each instance, when Jesus replies with them, he's giving them a chance basically to relent and repent of what they're doing. And they didn't. Not once. And it's almost like now, after he's giving them this chance and they don't go for it, now Jesus is about to strike the final blow. And it's not to knock them out, but to open their eyes to understand, man, I've been trying to give you this chance every time you've come and challenged me to, to answer you in such a way that makes you look silly and stupid. That you would go, I'm on the wrong side here. Because Jesus, believe it or not, still has compassion on these guys. Even in the midst of them testing and wanting to hurt him, Jesus still has compassion on them. And he will have compassion on them even as he's being crucified when he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're going, you're kidding me. But that's who our God is. He has compassion and love. And so in verse 41 here, says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. So while these guys are in their self-righteous huddle, <laughs> Jesus hits them with a really hard-hitting question. He, 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 Jesus focuses on the most important question of all. Who is the Christ? Who is this Messiah? And whose son is he? This is what the religious leaders should have been focusing on. 
Because again, everything in the Old Testament pointed to Him coming at this time. It was common knowledge among the scribes and all the religious leaders and all Israel, for that matter, that Messiah would come through the line of David. So they all knew that. It was promised to King David that he would always have a man, a lineage on the throne. So Messiah would be the son of David. But he would also be the son of God or man. In other words, he would be all man and all God at the same time. And this is something that they, the scribes, did not want to acknowledge about the man that was standing right in front of them, posing this question to them. What do you think about the Messiah, or, or the, yeah, the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? Man, they should have just stepped back and go, wait a minute, man. All this stuff, everything should have just been coming to mind. Going, are you it? But they just couldn't. They could not acknowledge that. And they said to him, without hesitating, they understood. They knew the scriptures. They knew that he was the son of David, the Messiah. And quite frankly, they also knew, especially on that Sunday, that that Jesus, as he rode in on a donkey, people were shouting and shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David. And that's why they say, hey, shut these people up. Because they knew it. And he is now challenging them going, who is this guy? Whose son is he? And yet Jesus, every time throughout the scriptures that we've been studying through Matthew, when, when the common people called them son of David, they were always going, you must be him. The common people knew that. And he never stopped them from calling him son of David. And in verse 43, it says, And he said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord or Master? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son. And so Jesus, after posing this question, they answer it correctly. Well, he's the son of David. He quotes them and, and he brings them back to Psalm 110:1, asking them to explain what that meant. Again, these guys are scribes. They should be able to explain it in a heartbeat. How is he his son? How is he also? His Lord or Master. And what David is saying in Psalm 110.1, the Lord, when you see the Lord in all caps, even in small little caps, it means Jehovah. I am that I am. Said to my Lord, Adonai, Master. That's the way he said. My, the the Jehovah said to my master, to Adonai. And so even David understood that Messiah was deity and would come as deity and that he would also be man. 
Because if he didn't understand that, then he would have said, the Lord Jehovah, I am that I am, said to my son, not to my Lord, to my son. And so the question that Jesus drops in their laps is, how is he then his son? Just like I said, David understood or accepted the fact that Messiah would be both man and God. At the same time, now I want to read to you, and I do have a little bit of time here, in Acts chapter, chapter 2, if I can get there, as Peter is preaching, and he kind of brings up David in this whole thing. In verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, For David said concerning him, concerning Christ, the Messiah, I foresaw the Lord, small caps, Jehovah, having before my face, or always before my face, and he is at the right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Peter continues in verse 29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has swore with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. And his soul was not left in Hades, nor did it see corruption, his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we, were, we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, all, but he said himself, The Lord, Jehovah, said to my Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus being his human name, Christ being his messianic name. If these religious leaders would have just acknowledged that maybe, just maybe, this could be the Messiah, then Jesus would have just drew them in and out of love shared with them eternal life. And Jesus, by posing this question, was still reaching out to them, if you will. Last verse here. And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. You see, the testing was now over. The Passover lamb, Jesus, was found to be without blemish. There was no more need for testing. Jesus was ready to be sacrificed. And that's what we get to 
celebrate this morning. As, as we commune with the Lord in communion. To remember that everything he went through that I've been able to share with you in the scriptures, through this portion, especially in, in chapter 22, all the testing, everything that he went through was necessary for your, on your behalf and our, my behalf. So that we can have this communion, this fellowship, this intimacy with the Lord. He comes up clean. Absolutely, man. He is the Passover lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. Your sins and my sins. And what we're going to have, if you're fairly new, we're going to have just a time of, of just intimacy between you and the Lord. We're going to sing a, a few songs. And when you think you're ready to come up and take communion, you, if you want to go grab your kids from the back and have communion as a family, do that. If you just want to sit by yourself and just pray and just contemplate all that He has done for you. If you want to go to maybe that person that you've hurt and whatever it is to say, here, let me have communion with you and let's get this straight. Man, what an awesome time that you would love your neighbor as yourself right now as you say, oh, I love God. I love you, Lord. And He says, hey, man, why don't you put that down and go take care of the business at hand? Because that's what He's called us to do. And so let me pray right now as the worship team comes up. And if you know Jesus and you know that you're saved, and again, even if you're going through a hard time, it's time to repent and come to Jesus and just have this personal time with Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord God, that is powerful, Lord God, and just speaks to us, Lord. I pray that this morning, Lord God, there would be healing going on in our bodies and in the body, Lord, that there would be such a unity going on right now between us and you, Lord. And Father, if there has been anything that has been amiss in our lives, Lord God, that we would get it straight even before we take communion, Lord. We do want to acknowledge, Lord, your faithfulness. We want to acknowledge, Lord God, that everything you say in your word is true and for our benefit, Lord. To draw us closer, Lord, even when you hit us hard, God, that we would understand that if we call you our Messiah, our Savior, the one who came to save us, Lord, then that we would want to be obedient to who you are. And Lord, as a church, we want to be obedient in remembering that, that you died on the cross for us, Lord. That this bread, Lord, symbolizes your, your body that was beaten and broken on our behalf, Lord. And that this juice, Lord God, represents your blood that we would be cleansed from our sin. Blessed be your name, for you are good, Lord. You are kind. Lord, let this be an intimate time with you. In Jesus' name, amen.